Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. In this episode, we talk about Borderlands 2, the pre-sequel, and Battlefield 4, some DLC. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McCain. As you know, listening to a lot of our podcasts and podcast extras, like this episode... Darren and I like to play a few games to pass the time, and lately I have not seen him on Steam, so I'm kind of <laughs> wondering what the heck this guy's been doing. So, Darren, catch us up. What's what up? have I been doing? Well, I haven't been playing as much as I'd like, thanks to the spring season and, of course, all the spring cleaning stuff, but what I have been doing is enjoying the latest from Battlefield 4. Uh-oh. Is that EA game? It is, but, you know, I would defend this one because... Unfortunately for the console folks, the PC is generally pretty fixed, and it's playing well. That's good. And for me, the appeal lately has been that Battlefield 4's latest DLC, Naval Strike, has come out. Okay, Naval Strike. If I go by the title, we're talking about boats and seals and um, probably weaponized dolphins? Ah, weaponized dolphins with lasers. That would be cool. (laughs) So... What got me interested in Naval Strike initially, and I bought the uh, the premium content so I'd get all of the initial DLCs, was the promise that we would get the return of uh, what I like to call the Titan game mode from Battlefield 2142. Now, most gamers that were even Battlefield fans, the large majority of them skipped 2142 because of the space theme. Yeah, I have the game. I want to say I have Battlefield 1942 in Chinese because right. I got it as a gift when I was at Computex. It's still in plastic wrap. Well, you know, you can register your games through EA's wonderful origin site if you're lucky. I have been able to get all of my original DLCs uh, registered, but I can't get my Core Deluxe Edition to register on Origin, which is a nice way of taunting me every time I log into Origin with all my Battlefield 3 DLCs and all my Battlefield 2 DLCs, but no core games. But that's a subject for another podcast. Thank you, EA. <laughs> I think EA gets razzed a lot about that kind of stuff. And um, I would say that after Battlefield 3 and the whole, you have to spawn a web browser and it has to be a certain kind, and then you get to start the game. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It has gotten better. So to be fair... Yeah, you can't really blame EA. And Battlefield 4, of course, is their flagship, so it gets the majority of their attention, which is good because it had some pretty nasty bugs, especially the netcode lately. But it's yeah. gotten better. All right, so you got DLC. So how do you actually play the Navy Warfare thing? So let's talk about Naval Strike. So the Naval Strike downloadable content pack came with four different maps. And they are all sort of sea island themed. There's the Lost Islands, Wave Breaker, Operation Morar, and Nansha Strike. So you can kind of get from the names that these are following the theme of a Chinese sea element. They are? They are. You would think I would know that. But... Morar and Nansha Strike. So in addition to okay. those four maps, which I want to talk a little bit more, and again, to revisit that special mode, you got a handful of weapons in there. And notably is an SR-338 or an SW-40 revolver. 
You'll also see um, a Battlefield 4 AA mine, which I've been trying to find a good way to use against those pesky helicopter whores. But anyway. So it's an air mine? It's an air mine. Yeah, you put it up. Yeah. So it's like a balloon that goes after helicopters. Well, no, it's more like a little turret thing that shoots a mine at the closest chopper. So, yeah. Oh, okay. I wouldn't say I've mastered it yet, but I'm excited to have another way to shoot those pesky choppers. But (laughs) the the maps themselves are very good, and they're large. And as you'd expect, there's a lot of water. Now, you'd think there'd be a lot of open water in something called Naval Strike. But reality is, and this is a major downside, is you don't have the ability to pilot any of the large ships. Oh, well, you could pilot them in, what is it, Battlefield Vietnam. You could could actually pilot it. Pilot a uh, aircraft carrier. Yeah, sort of, but you know, you know, slow and and sluggish, and it was kind of more of an objective than it was a battle platform. But oh, you yeah, could yeah. launch the uh, the airplanes, and and that's not possible in Battlefield Four, and that's actually a bit of a pain point because it does introduce some cool new stuff. You have jet skis, and you have uh, what I would refer to as sort of a, a fast assault craft or PT boat style boats. <laughs> but you also have these little uh, tiny hovercrafts that are a lot of fun. They're a little hard to control like you'd expect from a, a well, from a hovercraft because it's so real. Kind of reminded me of Waterworld right now. Yeah, kind of. But um, that one doesn't have any weapons, so it's mostly used as sort of a lawnmower in the game. So some oh. great griefing videos out there, I'm sure. <laughs> but Lost Islands is the first map. And it is a series of islands, and it has a downed, uh, what looks like a commercial aircraft in the center that's kind of a fun central objective, and a cave that turns into sort of a really nasty choke point at some points during the game. And it also is done in a circle where you can use quad bikes, thanks to the shallow water, to move around the entire map between the islands in a circle. Now, this map, like all four of the maps, can be played in regular mode and Titan mode. So, more about that again in a second. Not I know Titan, you're, not know you're Titan curious. Fall. Not Titanfall, right? Not Titanfall, Titan mode. Okay. Wavebreaker, probably my favorite map from the new one, has a handful of small islands around what looks like a giant James Bond style volcano. It has uh, big, large doors where you can drive your boats in, and there's a huge base inside with ladders and catwalks and a couple of different flags. That's a lot of fun to play on. It lets you play the boats in a more constricted way through these little canals, but it also opens up kind of a close combat aspect that negates some of the sniper stuff that I don't like. Um, Nobody wants to be on these big open maps and let it turn into just sniper-on-sniper combat, and that's really easy to do in maps like Lost Islands that are open. Well, especially when you get hovercrafts that are running you over when you're just trying to get from point A to point B. (laughs) Exactly. So you've got a lot more boat-on-boat combat around the island. You can get your snipers up on it, but they can't take flags from the top. And then you have this really great close combat, so that's Wave Breaker. Mm-hmm. Operation Mortar, or Mortar, Mortar is kind of neat. It's a giant island also where the bases um, are around the bottom. By the top of the hill, there's a much larger sort of abandoned castle. And what's kind of neat about it is it has giant cannons that you can rain down cannonballs and they bounce down the hills and it's kind of neat. It sort of reminds me of Dungeon Defenders. Hmm. You're not probably going to hit much, but it definitely makes it interesting to traverse up. But it definitely introduces a high ground versus low ground element that, as you can imagine, is a lot of fun for snipers and also brings the aircraft into more of a support role. 
because you can climb up also through the inside of the hill. There's that close combat again. Uh, and assault it from the inside out, or you can drop down on it from helicopters and parachutes. Oh. This one's kind of neat, and it allows for a lot of interesting combat along the bottom. So I find that it's very difficult to retake the hill sometimes, but you can still win the map by ignoring the combat up and down the hill and taking the bottom thing. So it's pretty balanced. Oh, yeah, so it's kind of picking off the, the lowest common denominator. Exactly. And last but not least is Nansha Strike, which is... Well, it's probably my least favorite, but it is one of the more playable. It's a large batch of islands that is really makes for more of an infantry combat with smaller channels in and out of them. And it has a lot of uh, of the light assault vehicles, which can float also. So a lot of destroyable buildings, small channels for your boats that can be defended with mines, which leads for a lot of inventory reduction kind of standstills where you're taking down assets from afar and slowly taking ground. And for that, it is probably my, my most impressive. So the DLC is, is all multiplayer maps with these new vehicles and stuff. Well, yeah, of course there's no single player add on cause we're well, talking about electronic arts and battlefield four. Yeah. But I haven't even talked about carrier assault. So if you're familiar with 2142, which I am not still in plastic, by the way. Yeah. It had uh, an element where you had a large hovering aircraft carrier, and you could launch out of it with escape pods, sort of like, uh, you know, your average local uh, sci-fi game. Or you could launch off of it in in your space-themed helicopters, for lack of a better term, and attack uh, flags on the ground. But you could also, at some point, attack the Titan and go inside and destroy its core, which would blow it up with allowed you to end the game either from attrition or from blowing up the enemy's uh, flying titan or aerial assault, I don't know, robot aircraft carrier thing. Hmm. So I missed that. And they had a variation with sort of a ground assault thing too, and they just weren't very popular. But the only game that I've seen that had a mode like that, so again, when they brought back the carrier assault and described it like titan, I was very excited. And it turns out, that how it works in Battlefield 4 is on each of these four maps, you can have the two carriers. So there'd be one at either side of the map. Um, Those are your initial spawn points. But you cannot get into these things unless you've done some damage to them. So the easiest way to do damage to the carrier assault is to conquer the flags on the mainland and turn the anti-carrier missile battery things loose on the enemy carrier. Oh, so you have to... So yeah, it's a ground capture. So you map. capture and hold areas, and they do damage to the carrier. When the carrier's taken enough damage, it's breached, and you can rush in that thing, and it has an upper control panel and then a lower engine room control panel to destroy it. And that is pretty freaking kick butt. So, so you, how long does one of those matches usually last? Well, that's the beauty of Battlefield 4 in general is the servers are based on the flag count. Now, in Battlefield, you can reduce the enemy's flag total by killing them, one point for every time a player is killed in the game, or you can take points away from them through attrition. If you own the majority of the flags, then they gradually have their point total reduced. And the more flags that you have, the faster their totals reduced. Hmm. Okay. And, of course, in the carrier assault, 
the more flags you hold, the faster their carrier is breached. But the nice thing about carrier assault is if you mount a successful defense inside of your carrier, you can hold that carrier long enough for your team to catch up. And while their entire team is trying to assault your carrier, your team can take those islands and turn the tide, breaching their carrier and turning it into a carrier assault on their side. It kind of sounds a lot like um, Unreal Tournament 3 Onslaught. Yes, in fact, it does share some similarities with Onslaught. Now, of course, you can't move the carriers, and you can't attack them with regular weapons, although a lot of folks seem to try. <laughs> but you can take advantage of those bottlenecks to do some serious damage to players as they try to attack and defend on these particular breaches, hmm. You know, launching missiles into the breach holes and destroying the defenders or... Or whatever. I even saw a guy manage to get an assault chopper into the hangar bay and wrecked quite a bit of havoc before he lost control and crashed it. So a lot of uh, great gameplay opportunity. And, of course, there's always the premium content battle, which gives you all the different packs. This would be the most recent. But it also gives you access to what I did this last weekend, which was a double experience weekend. So I'm going to assume double experience, double your fun. Instead of getting two points, you get four. Exactly. And as if that's not enough, Dennis, Battlefield does, for better or for worse, allow you to get random multipliers in your battle packs. Now, a battle pack is earned when you accomplish some minor in-game accomplishment. You level up, for example, mm-hmm. or you unlock enough content on using a specific weapon. So the battle packs might have in it useless stuff like camo patterns or icons they might have weapon upgrades or they might have these random exciting experience boosts and they go 25 50 100 or 200 percent experience wow okay so double experience plus 200 plus plus for me 200 for an hour wow so um i'm going to assume that you had some massive score right so I'm proud to say that thanks to some careful manipulation of some weapons and accomplishments that were very close to coming true that I'd saved for this particular occasion, because they're scheduled, and my 200 plus, I was able to rack up on a big ticket server a massive 1,100,011, that's right, lots of ones, experience points in just under one hour's play. Now, to put that in perspective, I generally run up uh, right around nineteen twenty thousand in an average game points, so a massive almost three level from sixty nine to almost seventy two boost in hour play this weekend. So you wonder what I've been up to? I've uh, finally found some consistent fun battlefield play thanks to Carrier Assault. Wow, I uh, it kind of makes me want to go get the game, but you know I'm going to be starting at level one. And since there's no single player or like trainer, I'm going to be like <laughs> Mr. Noob Sauce forever until they have some double experience weekend and I'll get lucky with cards or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, that's the problem with games like this, that they they have a definite release date. Everyone right. that wants to play the game buys the game, they play it, they rank up, and then they continually play it. It makes it harder for people that just buy the game to get involved with it and still actually be competitive. And that's where like a double experience weekend, I would see that as being very valuable for the new players, not so much for the experienced players, but it almost shouldn't apply to those people that have been playing for such a long time because the whole idea is to catch people up so that they can be competitive and not necessarily be the noob on the server. Well, the great thing about Battlefield 4 is 
that they try to balance that by allowing you to get points based on how your team does and whether you win at a map. And the reality is, is that I found that even on a slump night where I'm maybe dying six or seven to one kills of my own, I could still roll back into a support role, just take flags or just heal or just drop ammo or just spot even from a distance and make enough points that I'm still gradually leveling up. So you can adjust your gameplay. Now, I can see the downside of coming into it is the same thing that I feel. I mean, I may be level 71, but characters are up to 100. And to be honest, I play the weapons based on what I think seems fun, as opposed to min-maxing, another game term, where you're looking for the minimum amount of effort to get the maximum amount of benefit. And there are weapons in the game that are a little bit of well, they're just out of balance. For example, the engineer has a, a CQB weapon that does more damage than any other weapon in its chart. And up close, it's just brutal. But, you know, you learn fairly quickly that you have to play the lame weapons and gather enough experience to unlock the others. And unfortunately, there's no substitute that. One of the nice things about Battlefield 4 in general, though, is you can't right now go out and buy a cheat pack that unlocks everything. So you have to earn it for better or for worse. Yeah, well, that's one nice thing about it being an online-only game. They can enforce that sort of thing. Yeah, and they're actively covering it enough that if you play on servers where you check the protection is on, uh, you're not going to see much cheating. When you do it, it's a very short window before it vanishes. I've only seen, in my time, really one very obvious cheat, and it was a sniper that had found a way to glitch into a building so he could shoot out of it, but you couldn't shoot him. Hmm. And... After a couple of attempts at trying to get him and the frustration, a lot of us were trying to get him, uh, we tended to avoid the area he could get into, and we continued to play around him. And when the map restarted, we booted him. So it, you know, it is sort of controlled, but you got to be on the right servers, just like every online game. You know, it is about finding a good server where that sort of stuff's not tolerated and where there's active administration. Yeah, and that's well, I should say with the new server-based. A setup that Battlefield 4 has. You right. can't just spawn a server. It has to be somewhat authenticated, if you will. So so if you've been on the fence about Battlefield 4, and I know a lot of folks are because of Origin and EA in general, and there have been really a lot of bad news about the servers and the netcode and whatever, know that on the PC at least, most of that is resolved. You still need a fairly decent computer, but it's become very playable. But it is still Battlefield, so if you're not into that sort of game, I'd encourage you to try something else. Well, there's a new game coming out. Oh, that was a it was announced at PAX East. That, wow. that a lot of people I think uh, may enjoy. It's not necessarily Battlefield Four. It's not COD, but um, it's another Borderlands episode. Well, now I thought that they'd said that there wasn't going to be a Borderlands sequel. Uh, well, Randy Pitchford was asked if they were working on Borderlands 3, which, oh. is, which is the obvious thing. After Borderlands 2, you have the third version of the game, which would be Borderlands 3, right? Now, didn't they announce that we talked about a cell-shaded Borderlands point-and-click adventure? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, no. that's uh, I forget who's actually making that game, but that's a standalone um, endeavor. Telltale Games, which, of course, is famous for games like monkey's quest but that's not what you're talking about no that's not it's not the telltale game although that one's going to be coming out probably around the same time i'm intrigued they announced the borderlands pre-sequel 
Oh no, pre-sequel. Pre-sequel. So um, it basically they kind of did a little play on whatever saying, okay, well, it's the third game, but it happens after Borderlands 1 and before Borderlands 2. Oh, so are they giving us a chance to play the Borderlands 1 characters again? Kinda. Um, it, uh, according to the preview video and what they've kind of discussed, the, um, we're going to the moon. The moon? The moon. So, okay. Um, it takes place after Borderlands 1, and this is kind of the rise of Jack to power. So, Oh, so, so you get to play Jack. No. Oh, not even that. Okay, no. now I'm really intrigued. <laughs> so um, if you picked up some of the Echo devices in Borderlands 2, you kind of hear about how Jack got um, into power. So he started as an engineer, and then he um, sent uh, he gambled on the Iridium on um, Pandora. Right. Which actually started because they released the Destroyer in Borderlands 1. Oh, okay. Okay, so that's actually what started the whole Iridium coming out of Pandora. Oh, all the more reason to replay the first Borderlands. Yeah, I've been doing that, and I've kind of learned a lot about the story, which is really cool. So, And that's kind of helped with the pre-sequel as well. Okay. So, uh, in those Echo devices, Jack sends um, a space station to Pandora to be on the moon. And that's what you see prominently in Borderlands 2 is the space station. Right. Well, in the pre-sequel, you are playing on the moon where the space station is. So you get to play as, there's bringing in four characters, um, Nissa or Nisha, Nisha, the sheriff. Basically, oh, okay. Jack's girlfriend. That's one of the playable characters. Uh-huh. Athena. Do you remember Athena? Athena, the other... Uh... Seraphim, the angel, right? No, no. She is um, the mercenary that was in the General Knox DLC in Borderlands. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. She's the one that, the the head that, you know, double swords and everything. You get to play as Wilhelm. Nice. Before he becomes the big robot. Uh, the meat, probably. The muscle. Yeah. And yeah, he's the, the strong man. And get this, Frag Trap. What? You get to play as Claptrap. Basically, a weaponized claptrap. Now, oh, in, Borderland, <laughs> in Borderlands 1, there was that claptrap revolution DLC. So you would be fighting claptraps. And supposedly, the claptrap that you fought there was the one that you see in Borderlands 2. But that might be a different one. Who knows? But yeah, you get to play as a claptrap. And they supposedly are going to change the field of view so that you are considerably shorter. <laughs> and um, a lot of the speculation online is that the Claptrap is going to be the character that nobody wants to play because it's like, who wants to play his Claptrap, right? But he will probably have the best skills. It'll be like the easy character, kind of like the Gunzerker is sure. in Borderlands 2. So that's the speculation, at least. But they introduced um, some other speculation about it. In Borderlands, the original Borderlands, Corrosion was the, like, the buff. Yeah. Um, in Borderlands 2, Slag was the buff. Yeah. Well, in um, the pre-sequel, they have this other element, which is um, oxygen. Oxygen. Oh, I guess you're on the moon. You're on the moon, so you're going to have oxygen. So if you are supposedly, if you're inside a building, the oxygen doesn't matter. But when you're outside the building, there is going to be um, oxygen that comes into play, so you can actually jump around and stuff. But along the same lines, they introduced a new element, which is ice. Oh. And the rumor is that is going to be the buff. 
So you'll be able to ice somebody and then actually shoot them with something else and do more damage. Ice somebody. That's great. Yeah. So supposedly with the oxygen, you can do like double jumps and you can also do slam jumps where you're in the air and you can actually shoot down somebody and crush them. So they have a a couple of um, videos of that. The cool. The here's the thing that is a, a little strange. Um, 2K in Australia is the company that's building it. Oh, so it's kind of a knockoff. Yeah, well, Ooh. it's not. Well, it's Gearbox, but it's 2K. And when they started releasing the season pass DLCs, that's when they supposedly realized, oh, we need to actually have another game. This is going to be really big. That's about the time that Gearbox gave 2K Australia the game engine, and they started building the pre-sequel using the existing Borderlands 2 game engine. So the interface should be exactly the same. According to the the videos that you can see, the weapons are actually, they follow the same names and they have the same damages and they have the same parts that put together. Okay, so same system. Yeah, same system. Basically, it's going to be Borderlands 2, but it's a, another episode of it that happens before Borderlands 2 does. But it's on the moon, huh? Okay. But it's on the moon. And... Uh, Everybody was saying, well, one of the DLCs will be, hey, let's go to the moon base. Like, for instance, in Tiny Tina, the the premise of the Tina starting the game was that they were beating up a Hyperion informant. And at the very end, when you complete the quest, this is spoilers, by the way. Oh, no. Um, Maya comes in and says, hey, we got the keys to the moon base. Let's go take a visit. And uh, that was when people were thinking, hey, well, one of these DLCs will actually take us to the moon base. Well, it wasn't a DLC. It's an entire episode. Well, it'll be interesting to see what they do with some of these iconic characters, and we'll get to see maybe a little bit of how they developed into the villains that we know today. That's what I'm hoping for. I know when Wilhelm isn't as big as he was when he was a boss mm-hmm. in Borderlands 2. He's a playable character, but he's a normal size. So, Well, he was inside of the armor. So, Well, that's true. All right. Well, something to look forward to. I have to admit that that is me... A little more hope for Borderlands as opposed to some of the Headhunter content that we've been avoiding as of late. <laughs> but I'm I'm expecting, of course, the price tag for a whole brand new trip to Pandora, or at least Pandora's Moon. Yeah, Pandora's Moon. Uh, the rumor is, these are, again, rumors, game's probably going to cost about the same amount of money. Makes sense. It's going to have a season pack just like it does now. It. Since it's the same game engine, there's going to be shift code, so we'll probably have a golden chest somewhere. Oh, yeah. And uh, they'll probably extend it as much as they possibly can until an actual Borderlands 3 comes out. Well, the downside is the same engine, so you know what to expect for better or for worse. What's surprising is a lot of people were upset that the pre-sequel isn't going to be available on next-gen consoles. Oh, wow, yeah. But it's the same engine, so... Why bother? Yeah. Yeah, they're not... And supposedly, according to Gearbox, there's not a lot of players using next-gen hardware to play games. Well, let's face it. Games like Borderlands 2 really are just better on the PC. I hate to sound like the PC master race, but this is one of those opportunities for better DLC, you know, more content, more audio, the whole nine yards. And I think it really shows with how much faster the DLC is and this is true of Battlefield 4 also, but how much faster and more reliable the patches are, how quickly the DLC comes out, and how much more is available on the PC. Well, if we don't see you out in Battlefield 4, 
definitely give me a holler. I'd love to squad up with you. Maybe we'll see you sometime soon on the Moons of Pandora. And in the meantime, let us know what else you're playing at HardwareAsylum.com. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on HardwareAsylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS, now available on iTunes. Join us on Facebook or follow us on Google. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2014. Thanks for listening. Thank you.